0: You're listening to the Devoted Women's Podcast, where we share our recorded teachings from our Monday night Bible study. This year, we're in the book of Exodus, and we ask that you do your homework in your study book, or make sure to read the passage in the description before diving in. Happy listening. Okay, so I want everybody to get their books out. Most of you do have your books out, but if you don't, get them out because there is so much text here that I'm not gonna be able to cover everything, but I want you to go along with me and I'm actually gonna have you do some marking. So get a, get a pin and get um, your book out. So, last week, my favorite line from Tanea's teaching was, Jesus was no statue. He was a man clothed in skin and flesh, and yet somehow still almighty God. Jesus created the world in Genesis 1 alongside, alongside the Father and the Spirit. He gave us someone to place our affections on and someone to imitate. Mm-hmm. And I think we tend to think about imitating Jesus after he comes in the Gospels. But the law Tenea walked us through last week is the very image of God. It is his very character. And he, Jesus, is the only one who kept the law perfectly. The law sets God apart and shows us our dire need for him. So I want us to go back to Exodus 20, 20 22 through 26, So right after God gives the Ten Commands, and right before He gives the additional laws or ordinances tonight, He gave these strange laws about the altar. Now, I don't know what's happening with the whole panties and the stairs and all of that. I didn't go into any of that, guys. But I think it's important to point out a couple of things. So look at verse 24, and it says, Make an earthen altar for me, and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, your flocks and herds. I will come to you and bless you in every place where I cause my name to be remembered. So I want us to look at that first part, make an earthen altar. So God this whole time in Exodus has been doing what? He's been setting himself apart, right? From, from all the gods in Egypt and everything that we've been walking through Exodus, we see God setting himself apart. So um, <clears throat> God refuses to be worshiped as little g gods are worshiped because they are not gods at all. And he is, I am the one true God. And the whole earth is his altar. Is that beautiful or is that beautiful? Mm -hmm. Psalms 24, one through two says the earth and everything in it, the world and the inhabitants belong to the Lord. So God provides the altar, the sacrifice, the goat, the ram, Mm -hmm. the lamb. It's all his plan and it's all his purpose. It's his way and it's not meant to be burdensome. It's meant to be simple and beautiful. Before God expanded into this portion of the law, He told them how to make an altar and give a sacrifice. Look at the rest of verse 24a. Make an earthen altar for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, your flocks and herds. A burnt offering was a sacrifice of general atonement. It was an acknowledgement of the sin nature and a request for renewed relationship with God. A fellowship or peace offering was a gratitude or Thanksgiving offering and it was recognition of who God is and the community given to them. It was like this way of right relationship with God and with their fellow um, Israelites. So um, Yahweh is the righteous judge and supreme authority who hands down the verdict, and He is the one who sets the terms and conditions of the law and what happens when it's broken. And God anticipates that there will be disagreements. By giving this altar and showing them how to, you know, giving them um, these rules about the altar. It just shows us that he's preparing for them away. How amazing that the altar and sacrifice in these passages is not plan B, just like Jesus was not plan B. There is a design and a perfectly orchestrated plan. God has thought of everything. Lesson three ended with God showing his glory, his kavod, right? On Mount Sinai through thunder and lightning and, the, you know, the people were afraid, remember? In Psalm 86:11, D- David says, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Psalms 19:9 9 says, The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous." So both of these Psalms bring up fearing God's name. And I think it's very important for us tonight to really grasp that. God has established his worth and his authority through signs and wonders, which are totally terrifying by the way, every time. but signs and wonders are not for our amazement or our amusement, but they are to move us to devotion. Without a proper fear of the Lord, God's people will continue to find, to define good and evil on their own. Keeping the law, or like Tanea defined it, having allegiance to God, won't be possible without proper fear. And I don't mean in like a, I'm afraid and you're scaring me and I'm running away and hiding type of way. But more like a, I can't live without you. Where would I be without you? What can I accomplish without you? And specifically, in the way I'm going to approach tonight's text, who would I be without you? Our prayer focus this week was Psalm one nineteen thirty four, 34, and it said, help me understand your instruction and I will obey it and follow it with all of my heart. That is our, that should be our heart tonight. Holy Spirit, teach us, teach us to understand your instruction and we will obey it and follow it with all of our hearts. This week, we looked at the laws, ordinances, or ordinances given to guide Israel's officials over the cases of civil disputes. I think it's sweet to remember Moses' issue in lesson three. He alone was judging all the disputes, and a new system of overseers was put into place. So we shouldn't be surprised that God is going to give them exactly what they need to do the job that he has called them to do. So let's jump into... um, verses 2-3-11, laws about slaves, and I think it should come as no shock to us that God would kick off these ordinances with references to slavery, considering the Israelites' past circumstances. Our homework pointed out that the Hebrew word ebed, or slave, was commonly referred to as a servant or a bond servant. Um, many would enter in service to pay off debts, to acquire a wife, to simply live, or even for crimes committed. And we saw examples of that in chapter 32, right, with the, the ox and the donkey and the sheep thieves. Um, so, I want us to, to kind of hone in on 2 through 6. And again, I'm not going to be reading through all of the text, but I do feel like God wanted me to really touch on some of the stranger um laws the the stuff that kind of made us like what why is god saying these things like those types of things so i'm gonna i'm gonna hit on those so at first glance many of these verses seem odd and even cruel And I want to remind us that God is not unjust or cruel. He is good and he is unable to do evil. I want us to remember, too, that it's okay to wrestle with hard passages. So if you had time in the Word this week and you're like, God, I don't, it's okay. It's even good. But as we wrestle, we must always remember that because of the fall, we have a skewed view of good and evil and ultimately we simply have to put our faith in the fact that God is holy and righteous and will make all wrongs right it's the definition of faith it's trusting god knows better than we know right for the sake of the t- for the sake of this time i'm not going to cover everything like i said so we're going to jump at verse 2 jump into verse 2 Um, It says, if you buy a Hebrew Hebrew servant, he shall serve six years. And in the seventh, he shall go free and pay nothing. So the seventh year is significant and points to the readers to the year of Jubilee. You can read more about the year of Jubilee in Leviticus 25. But in a nutshell, it's a year of release from all indebtedness. So prisoners, captives, slaves, debts, and even land would become free. Jubilee would remind the Israelites that people are not a resource. And um, more importantly than that, that men, we don't really own anything. Mm -hmm. Um, Everything that we acquire is because God allows us to acquire it. So remember, before we even got started, God had laid his claim on the whole earth and everyone in it. And I believe this passage is just reiterating that fact. So this is also in stark contrast to Pharaoh. So the enemy in general, Um, he only saw God's people. He only saw the Hebrews as a resource. So let's not forget that. Moving on to verse four. So if his master gives him a wife and she bears him a son or daughter, sons or daughters, the wife and her children belong to her master. The man must leave alone. So again, it's kind of one of those, like, why would they let them get married and then make them be a part if he wants, you know, just what is happening? So I think what's interesting with both accounts of the slaves, male and female, we have a sort of underlying family or son or daughter type of language happening there. Who normally gives a Gives a wife. A father gives a son a wife. So, implying that a wife is offered to a slave would indicate to me that this is a good master who gives good gifts to his servants, right? And not to mention that the terms are laid out. These people are not entering into these marriages just totally blind. Tanea pointed out last week that God is transparent in what he asks of us. But I want us to see the beauty and the hope of the gospel message so ingrained in this. The slaves, the poor, the needy, those who cannot pay their own debts, regardless of what they, have, what they did to be at mercy, be at the mercy of someone else, right? God is providing a way of freedom for them, even if it means giving up their freedom. Isn't that strange? So the gospel levels the playing field for us as well. We're only free by the blood of Jesus. Jesus demands that we view our fellow humans with the same dignity. How often do we look at someone and lack compassion because they are reaping what they sowed? let y'all get a little convicted for a minute on that ah, because God wants us to remember our slavery before we met Christ, but he also wants us to remember who we are now enslaved to. Paul, Timothy, Jesus. (laughs) Paul, (laughs) Timothy. Yes. Paul, Timothy, James. I almost said it again. (laughs) Peter and Jude. All describe themselves as bondservants of Christ. So it's going to be Jesus, because then he would be a bondservant of himself. Mm-hmm. So Jesus Christ is our master for life that we have chosen to be forever enslaved to. And he demands that we love people with great abandonment of our own opinions, but lead people to repentance with his loving kindness verses seven through 11, laws about female slaves. So this one was hard for me this week and I really had to pray a lot and ask the Holy Spirit to show me some things here because I really struggle with these verses. Um, Before we dive in, I wanna remind us that multiple wives were not God's design. These laws were in place to protect the weaker party. And um, so like the second class wives like Hagar or um, Bilha or Zilpha um, or even young girls sold very early in life that they might grow up to be married. So... Um, A girl slave or a maidservant can be kind of two things. She can care for a woman um, for her life. And most of the time, those are the ones that we saw in like Genesis that like, and they got married and the maidservant went with her. Or it can be a concubine. And I think the CSV translation of concubine was helpful here with these verses. Um, And if we look at verse 8a in our text, we see the text reads, who chose her for himself. and 9a for his son. So it doesn't seem that we are speaking of maidservants, but that we are speaking of concubines. (laughs) And in my pursuit to understand more about this culture, um, we're certainly disconnected from this. This is not something that we do in the West. It is something that still happens in the East, these arranged marriages. Um, But I found some really interesting and beautiful things that I want to share with you about the dowry or the bride price. So the purpose of this money that was paid, this selling, right, of a girl, um, Is given to the wife's family to ensure the care and the protection of the girl. So, if she wasn't of age, they would care for. She was promised, and you know that money was in place for a reason. And another really beautiful thing that I learned is that the bride price would eventually come back to the girl herself through her inheritance. I never knew that a good father would give it back to her. So to help us wrap our heads around both the female and male servants we're reading about here, let's go back to Genesis and let's remember Jacob. He meets a beautiful girl named Rachel and he offers himself up for how long? For seven years. Um, but Laban is a shady guy and gives Jacob Leah instead. So he, um, then puts him back in Laban's service for seven more years. So he's paying the bride price, right? It sounds a little more okay in this circumstance. Um, now we all know, um, Laban was not a good, he wasn't a good old guy. And listen to what Rachel and Leah say about him in Genesis 31, 14 through 15. They say, do we have any portion or inheritance in our father's family? Are we not regarded by him as outsiders? For he has sold us, and he has certainly spent our purchase price. So like most things, it is not a custom or a tradition that is evil, but the sin of man. Here's the good news. And this is, there, we're gonna go through all these passages and we're gonna feel like I don't really relate to this, but when we put Jesus into the equation, it's so relatable every single time, right? Jesus changes everything. He is the redemption of all wrongs, and we can see through his perfectness why such plans are in place. Because when Jesus is in charge, these traditions are absolutely breathtaking. We are daughters, we are sweet daughters of God, and we were bought with a price. And I can say without a shadow of a doubt that we have a good, good father. Yeah. I want y'all to listen to 1 Corinthians six nineteen through 20. Mm-hmm. Do you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? The Holy Spirit is a gift from God. And it says, you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. You were purchased with the blood of Jesus and made his property. And then it says to glorify God with your body. So the spirit of God is the first installment of your inheritance. And Ephesians 1, 13, 14 says this, "...in Him you also were sealed with the the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed, the Holy Spirit is a down payment of your inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of His glory." Our inheritance isn't going to be something or some money given back to us. It's going to be someone. Mm. Right now, every encounter, every blessing, every whisper you hear from God is a foretaste of your inheritance. Every good, beautiful, intimate moment that you have, that's a foretaste of what we will have. You are owned and protected by God, and one day we will have our bridegroom. Doesn't that make that verse so much better? Yes, it does okay so moving on to Exodus, Exodus 21 12 through 36 Laws about personal injury so here where we're, we're going to start marking guys so um, I promise you I have a purpose in having you do this so just bear with me. I want you to mark verse 12 and I want you to mark the word death and verse 14 the word death) And um, then I'm going to address verses 12 through 14 because we have yet again some more verses. So whoever strikes a person so, so that he dies must be put to death. But if he did not intend any harm and yet God allowed it to happen, I will appoint a place for you where he may flee. If a person schemes and willfully acts against his neighbor to murder him, you must take him from my altar to be put to death. So we see the difference made between killing justified or accident accidental killing and murder, unjustified, deliberate homicide. So looking back to last week, the seventh command was, do not commit unjustified, deliberate murder or value life, right? Now, does verse 14 mean that if someone commits murder and goes to the altar, that they cannot be forgiven or any of the commandments for that matter? No, but here's the reality. We cannot commit sin and simply say sorry because our choice has affected somebody. And in, that, in this case, to the degree that that person doesn't have a life anymore. So in this case, someone cannot simply go to God and expect him to remove the physical consequence, which is death, for their actions. If that were the case, God would not be, I am righteous judge. And before we want to move on, I want to be very clear about salvation. When Israel became God's people, he delivered them, he saved them, he made a covenant that he keeps and made them his children. He justified them. The same happened for us when we cried out in repentance and surrendered our lives to Jesus. We've been um, talking a lot about sanctification or becoming conformed to Christ, right? The gospel message tells us that the wages for sin is death. That is what we all deserve. And yet God in all his grace made a way for us to have life. Jesus came that we would have life and have it abundantly. The Holy Spirit came so that we could have the power to obey. But let's be very clear about the gospel. God made a way for us to have salvation, but that doesn't erase the consequences for our choices. Uh, like, you're going to heaven. It's this way. But this way, if I hurt Anna, I'm going to have a consequence for hurting Anna. It's going to break our relationship. It's going to do some things. Um, there will be a consequence. Um, we are forgiven. We are loved. And sometimes we deserve and even earn a spanking. It's just the way it is. And often we get upset at God for the injustices of the world. And we forget about the ripple effect of our sin. Um, If I'm honest before you, that's how I want forgiveness to work. I don't want my consequence. I want to be let out of that. But true repentance willingly accepts a a consequence. And then we get to trust in God's mercy and goodness that he's going to give us exactly what we need to be corrected. It might be less. It might not be what we think the consequence should be. But God in all his knowing is going to give us what we need to be set back into right relationship, right? So we also tend to measure the degree in which other sins affect us. And again, we get upset while we don't want to be accountable for what our own sin does to the body of Christ and most importantly, his name and his reputation. Mm -hmm. And those are hard things to say, but it's just his, he says those things. (laughs) Okay, back to marking, ready? Mark verse 15, death, 16, death, 17, death. 19B, pay slash, um, also in that verse, you're gonna see you provide. I read my slash, <laughs> <laughs> just so you know. Uh, verse 20, circle or mark punish. And I promise I'm coming back to that. Verse 20 through 21. And if a man beats his male or female servant with a rod so that he dies under his hand, he shall surely be punished. Notwithstanding, if he remains alive a day or two, he shall not be punished for he is his property. Who struggled with that one? (laughs) Any? Just, just me? Today I had two hands. So I want us to notice the difference in the wording of the verse compared to the rest of the ordinances concerning a strike. What is different? We had the addition of the rod here. So a rod or a staff was used as discipline. As correction and in a biblical context a loving correction right anytime you think of the rod or the staff um, that we think of the shepherd and the care of the sheep right um, Proverbs 13 24 says the one who will not use the rod hates his son but the one who loves him disciplines him diligently and I want to again point out this family language like they're very children they would be disciplining these servants and I know y'all are thinking that I'm just justifying something that's not right. Um, But I think it's important to know that for very hard verses like this, especially ones if you've suffered abuse at the hands of someone that was supposed to care about you, um, I understand that it's so hard to wrestle with this idea of being disciplined in any physical way. But, um, and I'll tell you right now, I am that person. I've I've had that abuse and I've had that extent of things. So when I'm speaking to that, I'm not being insensitive at all. Um, I understand it firsthand. But we cannot approach the word of God through the lens of our human experiences. When we do that, we add to the passage and the meaning of the passage. We must let scripture interpret scripture and allow scripture to, for- to inform us of who we are and who God is. So at first glance, this looks like a master can take his discipline too far. And as long as death isn't the outcome, he gets off scot-free but I want us to move down to verse 26. When a man strikes the eye of his male or female slave and destroys it, he must let the slave go free in compensation for his eye. If he knocks out the tooth of his male or female slave, he must let the slave go free in compensation for his tooth. What happens at the hand of abuse? The loss of the rights to have a slave, the loss of the money that was owed, The slave goes free and we see justice is served. I hope that helped, I really hope that helped. Okay, Mark, verse 22, pay. Mark, verse 23, give. Verse 26, compensation. Verse 27, compensation. Verse 28, stoned. Death, that's death. 29, stoned and death. Verse 30, pay a redemption price. Verse 32, give, stoned. Verse 34, give, compensation, pay. Verse 36, compensate fully. Compensate fully, not two words. (laughs) Okay, now Exodus 22, one through four, laws about theft. Mark verse one, repay. Mark verse three, guilty, restitution, sold. Mark verse four, repay double. Exodus 22, five through six, laws about crop. Um, Laws about crop protection. Mark verse 5, repay. Mark verse 6, full restitution. Exodus 22, 7 through 15, laws about personal property. Mark verse 7, repay double. Verse 9, repay double. Verse 12, restitution. Verse 14, full restitution. <laughs> got a lot to say, damn I've got a lot to say. Um... Exodus 22, 16 through 17, laws about seduction. Mark verse 16, pay. Verse 17, pay. <coughs> Exodus 22, 18 through 20, capital offenses. I swear I'm going somewhere with this. Mm-hmm. Um, mark the whole verse, do not allow a sorceress to live, equals death, right? <laughs> mark 19, death. Mark 20, destruction and death. I want you to look at my book if you didn't get all of yours marked. It's completely full. And these aren't just judge judgments and ordinances and laws. There is something that I want us to see here. This is a picture of the insurmountable debt that is being added up. Mm. Who will pay? This is the condition of mankind. This is our natural flesh and response. This is unveiling the true condition of man without God. This is why Jesus came. Because without him, it's hopeless. Exodus 22, 21 through 27. Laws protecting the vulnerable now we can mark verse 21 exploit verse 22 mistreat mistreat verse 25 must not be like a creditor verse 26 takes your neighbor's cloak look at it our flesh exploits our flesh mistreats our flesh demands payback and our flesh looks past the needs of others y'all this breaks my heart this, just, this isn't just the ways of the world or injustice. It's about the gospel and how desperately our world needs Jesus. How desperately he wants his people to be set apart from this. The fruit of the flesh destroys community. Exodus twenty through, 22, 28 through 31. Respect for God. And I want y'all to listen here, the choices they are given in these verses. They can be people who say unworthy and unwarranted things about men God has set as judges and leaders. They can, be, they can um, lay claim over earthly wealth that belongs to God. They can be animalistic men tearing up meat thrown to the roadside like dogs, or they can be Yahweh's holy people. Mm-hmm. God said it like this in Exodus 19, five through six. Now, if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of all the peoples, although the whole earth is mine, and you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. These are the words that you are to say to the Israelites. The God that owns the whole earth is making an offer. They can be royalty, be priests, be like a nation, uh, be like, be a nation like no other nation, or they can choose death, strife, slavery, and debt. Who will we be tonight? Will we be holy people and have freedom? And I love, as we get into Exodus 23, one through nine, the laws about honesty and justice. Um, I love that after all the laws about murder and enticing virgins and beating people, there's this section, this law about honesty and justice. Most of us um, are probably not going around doing a whole lot of murdering and seducing, (laughs) but what about lying? What about following the crowd? What about giving good treatment to some and letting others fend for themselves? Jesus had something to say about it in about all of this in Matthew 5:43 through 48, especially the part about loving your enemies. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your father in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and, good, and the good, and sins rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, What are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. What was Jesus's point? No matter how hard we try, no matter how good we think we are, be perfect. This law should put in us the fear and trembling of the Lord. I can't live up to that. I have to have him, I have to walk with him, I have to rely on him, I have to go the way of Yahweh. And in the next verses, Exodus 23, 10 through 19, the Sabbath Sabbath is the perfect way to develop this heart and mindset. The Sabbath was built into the week to stop and recognize that the world does not stop when we stop. Tanae laid the groundwork for us here last week. Sabbath is an invitation to celebrate and delight in God. It was built in rhythm of creation, that if we choose to be obedient and observe, will help us to keep God at the center. And he invites us to do it together as a community, to help one another walk in the way. We aren't intended to do it alone. So as we move in, speaking of not doing it alone, Exodus 23, 22 through 33, the promises and the warnings. So starting in verse 20, I am going to send an angel before you to protect you on the way and bring you to the place I have prepared. Be attentive to him and listen to him. Do not defy him because he will not forgive your acts or rebellion for my name is in him. So who is this angel? I'm going to tell you who I think he is. (laughs) (laughs) So it is one of those fun, mysterious conversations that we can have. We're not told completely in the text who he is, but I feel like going to some other text in the Word of God might help us. Deuteronomy 7.1, When the Lord your God brings you into the land you are entering to possess. So... Exactly what we're talking about here in this text. And it's saying, when the Lord your God brings you. Isaiah 63, 7 7 through 14. I will make known the Lord's faithful love and the Lord's praiseworthy acts because of all the Lord has done for us, even the many good things he has done for the house of Israel, which he did for them based on his compassion and the abundance of his faithful love. So the faithful love or the loving kindness being talked about here in these verses is the Hebrew word for has and it is the love that is faithful to the covenant. It can be translated steadfast love. It is one of the great words of the Old Testament, and it is probably the closest Hebrew equivalent to the Greek word agape. So a little beautiful Um, side note from commentary on um, the word faithful love there. But verse 8, picking up in verse 8, he said, They are indeed my people, children who will not be disloyal. And he became their Savior. In all their suffering he suffered. And the angel of the present saved them. He redeemed them because of his love and compassion. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of the past. But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. So he became their enemy and fought against them. Then he remembered the days of the past, the days of Moses and his people. Where is he who brought them out of the sea with the shepherds of the flocks? Where is he who put his Holy Spirit among the flock?' He made his glorious strength available at the right hand of Moses, divided the water before them to make an eternal name for himself and led them through the depths like a horse in the wilderness so that they did not stumble. Like cattle that they go down into the valley, the spirit of the Lord gave them rest. You led your people this way to make a glorious name for yourself. So it's been happening all the way through Exodus. I'm gonna argue that we're talking about God here. Commentary points out, In these few verses, we hear from God the Father when he talks about my people, children, who will not lie. God the Son, the angel of his presence, and God the Holy Spirit. So we have this Trinitary um, kind of language going on there. So I'm going to say God has always been and will always be with his people. Mm -hmm. Ready to mark? Mark verse 22. I will. Mark verse 23. My angel will. And also I will verse 25, a, he will verse 25, B, I will verse 26. I will verse 27, a, I will verse 27, B, I will. Now that I'm doing this, it's really annoying. Verse 28. I will verse 29. I will verse 30. I will verse 31, a, I will. And verse 31, B, I will. And I want us to remember back to Exodus 6 6 through 9. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from the slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians." I will bring you out of the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses told this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to them because of their broken spirit and hard labor. Y'all remember that? Do you remember when Teneah taught us that they were and are called and, and that we are called to trust in the Lord? That they were and we are fortified by I am, by El Shaddai, God Almighty. Their job is to trust. Once again tonight, God calls them to not trust in their own ability, not trust in other people, not trust in their circumstances, not trust in their worldly resources. They were called to walk by faith and not by sight. God reminds them that they are his people going to his place with his protection, with his provision for his purpose. Which brings us to the covenant. And I wish I had time. I'm already over. I wish I had time to go through this whole chapter, but I don't. So we're going to go Exodus 24, 4 through 8. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early the next morning and set up an altar and 12 pillars for the 12 tribes of Israel at the base of the mountain. Then he sent out young Israelite men, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. So remember what we started with tonight. Back to verse, back to chapter 20. The sacrifice made was a acknowledgement of the sin nature and a request for renewed relationship with God, a recognition of who God is and who they are. That they are poor, needy slave that will do what the Lord commands, be his people. That's what he commands, y'all. He commands that we be his people. Moses took half the blood and set it in the basins. The other half of the blood he splattered on the altar. He then took the covenant scroll and read it aloud to the people. They responded, we will do and obey all the Lord, all that the Lord has commanded. Moses took the blood. He splattered it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you concerning all these words. How beautiful that the blood is on the people, not the doorpost, it is on the people. Hebrews 9, 13 through 14, this is closing, I'm done y'all. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow, sprinkling those who defiled, sanctify for the purification of the flesh, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our consciousness from dead works so that we can serve the living God. From dead works, from dead works, from dead keeping of checking boxes and marking and just trying to keep striving from dead works to serving a living God, the living God.